This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good morning, it's Caroline Keep here today. So, I'm doing a session on burnout um, with Katrina Lau, also known as Neuro Teachers. So, if you want to talk burnout or you want to listen in, this is a really personal one, and also it's probably a really informative one. So, let us know what you think, and um, we'll have a chat. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Well, good morning. So we had, I had the pleasure this week, I've just had endless burnout. It's just been nonstop. I'm kind of on the edge and I was umming and ahhing about whether to do the show. But then I had a chat with Katrina Lowey. She's at Neuro Teachers, a neurodivergent teacher with over two decades of experience helping autistic and other neurodivergent learners. She does specialist CPD. So please check it out. And instead of being you know, like, oh, this is just going to kill us to do this. What we did was we recorded part of it. So what we're going to do is I'm going to I'm going to play you the interview that we had. It's an incredible interview. And actually, I think it's a really personal one because we were kind of sneaking on there um, and just having a quick chat. So if you want to uh, midway through, give us some feedback. Um, we're probably going to be around. I'm going to be around on Twitter as well. So, you know, let us know what you think about some of the things that we're saying about um, burnout, about mental health, about neurodiversity across schools, about how to help people fit in. So please let us know what you think as we go. I'll be stopping this interview mid part through for A, the news, and also to just make sure that you can kind of give us some feedback. So come on, have a bit of input. And we're going to pick up me and Katrina um, mid part through. So here we go. Right, so what I thought we'd have a chat about, I mean you can have a chat about it now, I'll slice this up and then we'll put it in. So that that way it's kind of easier on my, and probably yours, slight burnout that I'm in right now. Because to be perfectly honest, do you know when you were like, I was really this week, I was like, I don't know whether I've got the energy for this. Mm-hmm. So to be honest, for it to be just as two are doing it slightly different way, probably speaks volumes to everything, doesn't it really? Yeah. But yeah, I wanted to have, because this week I was like, I've, I've been tired and exhausted. And do you know when you have that feeling where you know where burnout's coming yeah, up? Yeah, yeah. But it's not quite fully fun- fully realised itself just yet. Mm-hmm. So you know that if you just pull back a little, you can kind of just escape it. Yeah. So I'd like, I'd pulled back for like a week or so. So I was umming and ahhing, guys, if anybody's listening, because they'll probably get into this, you know, to do this one or not. But mm-hmm. luckily enough, Katrina was like, you know what? When I asked her, she was like, oh, yeah, I'll do one with you. But we're doing it, um, you know, a burnout style by the looks of things, aren't we? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, how do you do this without it being quite as intensive or pressure? You do it by slightly recording it and doing a time that's a bit better for us and, mm-hmm. you know, more um, being a bit more uh, mess up friendly, I guess. So, you know, I think that's probably a, a good starting message, isn't it? Yeah, um, absolutely. But what I wanted to ask you about, because you do absolutely loads of work, don't you, with neurodiverse um, young people, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're two 
decades worth of experience in in teaching neurodiverse kids and you, you have a really prominent place in um putting neurodiverse teachers because there's so few of us it feels like sometimes or the ones that are there you know they're quite you know visible but it doesn't seem to be a lot of us it doesn't feel like there's loads of us no it doesn't really is it just me or do I feel like I'm a, I'm in a lonely space sometimes? And I've only got diagnosed in like the last three years, haven't I? So it's like, yeah. it feels a bit slim on the ground, doesn't it? It and does, it does. But you know, what I've been really surprised about is, is like I started this uh, Facebook group for neurodivergent teachers, which mm. is called the Neurovergent, Neurodivergent Teachers Network, mm. if anyone wants to look it up. Mm. Um, and I didn't think that, they'd be, I, you know, I thought we'd maybe get 100 people. Hmm. something like that I've got I think we've got 400 now wow and it's only been six months and I'm not like massively pushing it either it's just people are coming along and it's a pretty active group as well it's very supportive Hmm. um and also as well like other people who I knew but I didn't know that they were neurodivergent have joined Hmm. and that's been really interesting as well because you know people who I like really who I've sort of like really respected so like I don't know whether you know um lynn mccann from reach out asc i think i follow her yeah i'm still getting to typically neurodivergent i'm still you know what i'm like trying to figure out people's names with me is like a nightmare so like i'll i'll probably follow or know them and then i'm like do i follow them on twitter or not but i know um the work that you've been doing is amazing to bring loads of them together you know and and actually you know have have a have a more face of neurodivergence and teaching because it feels a real weird one doesn't it that you've yeah. got like you know we, we we've spent an awful lot of time talking about neurodivergent students mm-hmm. um but i don't even think we can hang on to our neurodivergent staff you know really. <laughs> i don't think we can you know mm-hmm. not any of the ones that i've spoke to have, have had oh it's a great experience no. it's a really rare thing to hear and even mm-hmm. the experiences i've had that are great have been Few and far between, I'd say. I wouldn't say it's it's commonly um, a stress-free environment because it, it isn't. No. But it's it seems to be that a lot of the I've been having a chat with quite a few neuro, other neurodivergent teachers, you know, and and the most interesting thing I get said to me, you know, is I, I'd love to come out to the staff that I'm with, but I don't want to because they'll treat me differently. Yeah. I'm worried about the professionalism that that'll give across, mm-hmm. you know, because I won't be able to cope or as if it's somehow I'll not be as good as my job mm-hmm. or, um, you know, worse still is, you know, I am a neurodivergent teacher and now I'm so much under the pressure that mm-hmm. I think I'm going to go part time or I'm going to leave. Yeah, exactly. So we're losing them, even if we're keeping them. <laughs> well that's the thing I mean you know like I you know I my sort of my my teaching's private now anyway like you know I'm a private specialist private specialist teacher so I'm effectively self-employed which makes life a lot easier and I burnt out so many times in my job you know Hmm. my 22 years in the classroom like you know it wasn't the kids either it wasn't the kids no but that's the weird thing whenever I speak to them they say the same thing as I do it's not the kids I love teaching the kids kids aren't stressful no not at all. Not in the slightest. So the, the teaching part isn't driving us out. No. It seems to me, you know, I don't think that's the part that's burning us out at all. But no. I do think that there seems to be a very high rate of us, you know, either masking that we are neurodivergent mm-hmm. and then struggling because of the, you know, the sheer expectations of of pretending to be 
neurotypical in uh-huh. as a neurodivergent person and then burning out with that stress on top of the job stress and the social aspects of the job and then before we know it we've burnt out completely and you know yeah. that's it doesn't really bode well because it's you know it's like everything else you know with masking i think it you know it's, it's a defensive mechanism for discrimination and violence really that's why we use it well yeah yeah and the thing is it's absolutely impossible not to mask at work if you're working in a school environment and it's just things like you know so you know my neurodivergence i have two that i two conditions that i know of Hmm. um dyslexia which is hard enough yeah because like you know it comes to report writing um quite a long time ago now sort of quite near the beginning of my career i think i've been teaching for about five years I did this maternity cover in a private school and they expected you to handwrite all of your reports. Oh, God. And I had 220 of them to mm. do, handwritten. And, like, it nearly drove me over the edge because also as well, like, and then people would send them back with a mistake in it. Mm. And, you know, obviously I'd have to then handwrite again the entire thing. And it just oh. it dro- drove me to desperation, honestly. It was so difficult. I, mean, I don't think that happens now, but they just wanted it to be the personal touch. Yeah. So they thought the parents would appreciate it if it was a handwritten note. Mm. Not when you've got 220 of them to do. No, no. I mean, I don't think that's even good for a neurotypical person, let alone a neurodiverse person. But it's like when you think about it, you know, I think there's, there's, there's so, I mean, I'm ADHD autistic, as you know, um, and I have a seizure condition. Now, I knew about the seizure condition when I started teaching. So I already knew full well that I had to really maintain my work-life balance. Mm-hmm. I, I was lucky in that respect. But I didn't realise, I think, when I was first starting teaching or when I, I dropped into part-time a few times and now I'm you know doing a PhD in part-time teaching you know pretty much within five years it was like I either go part-time or I stop because I, I can't I can't do this anymore mm-hmm. um and you know that that in itself probably speaks volumes but it was um I found it very difficult for the the social aspects i found difficult yeah Um, but mostly the social aspects with other teachers um you know i never found it very difficult with kids kids are far more accepting Mm -hmm. surprisingly enough but you know the adults i found it very very difficult with um i found it difficult because you have this underlying even when i I came out after i'd been diagnosed i found it difficult Mm -hmm. it was you know you don't necessarily feel like you fit it you fit in you're more kind of um socially isolated um you know you find yourself more on the fringes of a teaching community than in the center Mm -hmm. of it and it's stupid stuff you know things like inset you know like (laughs) i'm supposed to participate in inset you know it's like the ultimate burnout within an inch of its life it's like you know we're going to cram all this information into you in this very short period of time where you're going to sit and have to look a particular way for several hours Uh and like i'm used to standing up and moving around a classroom teaching kids and it not being like that and then it's like sit here absorb all this information and 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 then you have to have lunch with everyone as well yeah so i you know and that makes you look as if you're you're not interested in other people i spent my entire teaching career eating lunch in my car yeah like my entire teaching career you know it's a rare occasion that i teach and don't eat lunch in my car on my own 
even before I was diagnosed, I didn't lunch in my car. And it just meant that I could just get a bit of time away from everybody and process everything. Yeah, and you're in your own space as well, aren't you? I mean, that's yeah. your, your car is like a little bubble. Yeah, the bubble you can escape to. Yeah. But the problem is with that is that then, you know, then it's like, oh, but you're not then part of the group. Yeah. Because you're not in the staff meetings or you're not in the lunchroom meetings. You don't get invited to the things that go on or when mm-hmm. they go out on nights out because you're not part of the crowd. Yeah. And it can feel really, really isolating, you know, re- being a, a neurodivergent teacher, I think. And that, you know, leads into masking and leads into, you know, all the other ways that we we kind of compress being neurodivergent in an attempt to try and fit in. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been really hard because I too, I've always I've always found somewhere to escape to to go and have my mm. lunch because I need twenty minutes. Mm, I need yeah. like you know, I just got to like you know decompress, mm. and like, I use all my social on the kids, and like I'm not yeah. auti- I'm not autistic. I mean, I suspect I may have undiagnosed ADHD. I am bipolar, so my stress level I have a naturally higher level of stress anyway. Yeah, but I u- use all of my social on the kids, which is what's supposed to happen because that's what I get paid for. Yeah. And so, you know, don't expect me to, you know, like in the beginning of my career, when you used to have an hour's lunchtime, there would be Friday, Friday lunchtime down the pub sort of thing. Or yeah. go to a local cafe or something like that. It doesn't happen so much now because lunchtimes are kind of like five minutes long now, aren't they? Yeah. But um, I could never do anything like that. And also as well, Christmas do's. Yeah, I, I can't. I, you know Christmas don'ts really I can't I can't cope with all of the questions that I would have to ask in order to get myself to yeah. something like that and on the few occasions when I have gone I've just found it just absolutely impossible to cope with because it's just there's just too much variation there's not enough information about it and yeah. then you know it, and it's just and there's masses and masses of people and there's a certain expectation on you to be jolly and wear a paper hat yeah. And and I just can't do it. I can't cope with it. <laughs> yeah. You're not the only one. If anybody out there is listening to this and thinking, oh, yes, thank God that they're saying this. Yes, yes, we are saying this. I don't think it does any good. I think I think there's this idea, and I think sometimes, and you'll probably say it, you know, uh, making accommodations for people who are neurodiverse or people who have mental health difficulties or people who are have disabilities mm-hmm. actually helps all of us. Because there'll be plenty of neurotypical people thinking, oh, please, God, I hate the Christmas party too. You know, so, you know, we've got to come up with maybe better ways to be sociable in in that kind of context, you know, Mm -hmm. because loud, noisy groups of people of which I have to come up with it, you know, because there's, for me, there's a lot, there's a lot in there. I think that we're still failing to understand, you know, from my point of neurodiversity on it, or as an ADHD autistic, that you know you don't understand yet alone with your with your kids you know when when i go to socialize i have thought about that socialization for at least two weeks yes. i've worked out what i'm going to wear i've worked out what i'm going to say and worked out the script for exactly how i'm going to interact with you yep. i've gone away and looked up all the things that we could possibly talk about and worked out what i need to say and how my face is supposed to look mm-hmm. and all of that needs to go on whilst trying to monitor like I'm trying to concentrate on your conversation, but I'm accidentally listening to about six others. Yeah, that's and it's like the overwhelm can be vast for me mm-hmm. in that. 
Yeah, because um, I, I can't, I can't filter out other people's conversations, right? And the thing is, right, also, so I have really good listening skills. I was a modern languages teacher originally. I, I meandered into special needs, but like, I'm good at languages, and I, mm. I always used to get really, really good marks in listening because I can't not listen to stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so if there's like a whole bunch of conversations going around in me, I can hear all of them at the same time, mm. and it's just incredibly overwhelming. Like, yeah, I think as well. I think for me, you don't. One of the things as well with that is that a lot of people don't realise that I think for a lot of neurodiverse uh, who have sensory input issues or have, are of overwhelm issues, you don't realise that a lot of that you experience, I experience it, not all do, but a lot of us experience it as pain. Yes, it is painful yes. for me. Literally. It's not that it's like I find it uncomfortable. Mm. No, it, it like literally it hurts. Mm -hmm. And that's why when it, it goes on too quickly or too noisy, my little dog howling in the background there. <laughs> it's like every time an ambulance goes by, sees my little alarm system. And it's like having this moment where he's like, that was a, that's my, that was an ambulance noise, if you're wondering. Mm. Odds up come up here it's fine nothing is wrong <laughs> but oh, yeah yes. I experienced this as a kind of um a, something deeply overwhelming but mm -hmm. that's painful to me mm -hmm. so it's not like I'm just uncomfortable when I burst into tears suddenly I'm just in pain because yeah. I'm bursting into tears suddenly so it goes from we're all having a nice conversation that all seems to be going a bit too fast for me and there's too much noise and there's mm -hmm. too much light and then it gets too much and then before you know it I've burst into tears for no explainable reason mm -hmm. and for everybody else it's just like god she's emotional but it for me like it's painful you know it really hurts when it's just too much like that so it's not like it's some kind of like you have sensory overwhelm or sensory input it feels like feels like somebody hammering my head with a shovel yeah you know it's like that's the best i can explain it guys no i can i can totally relate to that and like i said i'm not autistic i don't know i i i've often suspected that i have auditory processing disorder but it's kind of like mm. i've used it as an advantage because as i say as a modern languages yeah. teacher originally and so like i've used it to my advantage like i've played on my skills because it's a bit you know people go it's a bit strange that a dyslexic person would be a modern languages teacher because hmm. you know you know a lot of schools will remove kids with any kind of neurodiversity or, or special needs from languages which is crazy really. it is crazy isn't it i mean remove them from the thing that they don't they're not very good at and don't want to do don't like because some of them might be they might be really amazing at you know at languages you don't know that it's just because yeah. they're dyslexic or whatever and I mean, mm. let's face it the majority of neurodivergent people are dyslexic because it's one in seven people yeah it's me as well i think i'm on there it's just not on the it's not on the high priority list because i've got all the high priorities well, it, it, but it's the, it's yeah, the thing is like to. you know you know we, we're all gonna have like lots of different needs we're all a delightful fruit salad of a mixture of things yeah. and we've been given these diagnoses by somebody else do you know what this is another thing that i might want to ask you about is one of the things that i've always thought about neurodiversity is you're given a neurodivergent diagnosis by somebody else mm. any other type of um identity that you have is comes from within yeah this one you just labeled it yeah you're you're given this label by someone else yeah you know uh, and no i always feel like as well as that you always have you know like if you've um if you've had somebody and they say to you and i've had them places you know we've, we've done some training we did a we did an autism or adhd course 
Yeah. And they're like, yeah, so we know what we're going on mm-hmm. about. And you think to yourself, you know better than somebody with ADHD or autism. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? You don't, mm-hmm. you don't stand there and go, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm bisexual, as most people know. But mm-hmm. you don't stand there and go, oh, I did a bisexual course. So <laughs> I did yeah. a gay course, so I know <laughs> what's going yeah. on with that now. You yeah. know, for some reason, neurodiversity, you do get that. And it's this thing about the, you know, you'll know, the medical model versus the social model. Yeah, you know it's med it's medically um, viewed, um, even though there's plenty of evidence that says neurodiverse people have been around a long time. About twenty oh, percent yes. of the population are neurodiverse. Yes. Uh, so you know it's not exactly as if we've got a few of us, but you know my dog's being neurodiverse right now. <laughs> Brilliant. Odd sock. Come here, you little flea. If you're wondering, he's a very strange dog and called Odd Sock after the Odd Sock movement. So um, the point is, though, is that he, you know, you you get this model and it's, you know, you told it and it's the deficits of it. It's the things that you can't do. Mm -hmm. It's the things that you shouldn't do. Mm -hmm. And it's the how to conform to be like we feel that you should be. You know, masking is rewarded. Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. And the thing is as well, like when I didn't know any better, because I've been in special needs for like 12 years, when I didn't know any better, I used to give people, you know, children lessons in how to be social. What I was Mm. really doing was teaching them how to mask. Now, Mm. I gave that up about like three years ago, and Mm. I've just started the the teaching, so to speak, that I do about socialisation is meaningful socialisation for you so how to how you would need to make friends in your particular you with your particular set of needs and what your strengths what your strengths and needs are rather Mm. than you know these kind of like these programs where you basically like teach Teach your kid not to look autistic yeah yeah not not teach your kid to look neurotypical and all you're doing is teaching them to mask and there's program after program where you you yeah. teach kids to mask and we shouldn't be doing that. We should be allowed to be our authentic selves. I I, um, I mean, I often say now, looking back, really, I, I set up makerspaces in schools so we could have, I think, so I could and my the kids I knew who were neurodivergent could have spaces to escape to. Mm-hmm. I think if I'm honest about it, because my, my spaces were always full of neurodivergent kids. Mm-hmm. And it was because, it you know, makerspaces naturally sort of encourage um you know, special interests, hyper focuses, you know, mm-hmm. geeky, geeky, nerdy um, kind of spaces mm-hmm. that are dominated by neurodivergence. You know, you want to see, you know, neurodivergent adults organize, ask about a comic con or why you've got oh, marbles yes. or any of the geekdoms that you are. Everybody loves right now. Mm-hmm. You know, neurodivergent people were at the head of leading it, have put together the social groups on it, have often driven it. You know, this mm-hmm. is why we've got them. But at the same time, you find that they are, you know, masking in in workspaces, you know, especially if you're like teachers, um, trying to look as if they're not neurodivergent, mm-hmm. you know, in an attempt to kind of compress themselves to fit in. And it, you know, we're talking about burnout today. That compression, that that is burnout. You know, it's doing that compression of our, our personalities is what you know, was trying to bridge that gap, doing all the work, masking our behaviours to be more socially acceptable. Um, that's that's what basically causes us to eventually get to a burnout position. You know, you oh, end definitely. up struggling with it. You know, and I think there's some things with burnout that, like, I do wonder whether people know. Like, you know, it, it's not like I'm minorly exhausted. 
Do you know what I mean? It's not like I've had a bad day. Do you know what I mean? Or I'm a bit kind of, it's crazy. You know, I lose the ability to do things when I start burning out. And I think mm-hmm. I've burnt out probably once in my teaching job when I was when I was teaching. And I was kind of, I was doing, I was leading physics. I was leading it single-handedly. I was setting up a makerspace. I was, I was organizing everything at once. And I just, I stopped being able to do things. I just burnt out so badly. It was just remarkable. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And the, the, the consequences of it are, vast you know i had to drop into part time and then i I, I really struggled to get my confidence back after that Mm. it was like because the the judgments were you 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 are brilliant in what this one area so you should be great all around yeah and it's like no don't work like that i can be really really good academically really really good at teaching really really good at this bit Mm. but if you were to go into my kitchen right now i is a mess (laughs) like i can't do that like I am dire at that, you know, mm. or like, or like try and cook. Yeah, today my husband's uh, been away with uh, my daughter that out at a, a, a festival in Manchester. And before they left, he said to us, there's cash on the side, there's food in the fridge, you know, just make sure you eat today, Kaz. So I went into the kitchen earlier on and was like, right, food. This is about 11. And I was like, food, I should do the food thing. And I spent maybe 25 minutes in sheer confusion over this <laughs> for like ages. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, this feels far too overwhelming. Sod it. And then went to the little shop around the corner and bought a pot noodle. And I was like, that will do. <laughs> well, it's pre- it's predictable, isn't it? Pot noodle is yeah. predictable. You know what you're going to yeah. get. Yeah, you don't I know what to... I'm going to get. I know as easy as it is. I know straight what it is. And the sheer decision fatigue over making a decision over what to cook, even though my kitchen is full of food. Mm. And probably I suspect one of those meals in the fridge is labelled, Kaz, eat this. Mm. But I really just couldn't do it today. Yeah, I can sit here for absolutely hours on end working through statistics and data to work out stuff with code that to try and improve stuff for teachers it's just such a dichotomy all the time isn't it it's like yeah it it is it's just also as well like um and also as well just because like for example if i cleaned the kitchen yesterday Mm. uh, and people would explain expect me to be able to clean the kitchen every day yeah i I can't i can't clear the kitchen every day because sometimes i just can't do it i just can't i don't even know where to start I've got no idea. My executive functioning is all over the place and yeah. I'm completely overwhelmed and I don't know where to start with it. And it's a similar sort of thing like, you know, in, in teaching, it's like, you know, people would expect you to be able to, oh, do you know what was right? Okay. So obviously I was a languages teacher and I used to love doing trips. I used to love mm. taking trips abroad. Right. And I could organize all kinds of things, you know, the, the hotel, et cetera, et cetera. But when we had to fill in the group passport, Right. And nobody mm. told me that the group passport had to be done in alphabetical order by surname. Oh, God. And it's a dyslexic nightmare, that is. When yeah. you've got f- 57 kids and the teachers, right? And I didn't think, you have to put the teachers in alphabetical order as well. Oh, God. So I did one... all of the kids, and it took me ages, and then I did the teachers, and then I had to redo the whole thing because I had to put them all up. And, like, you know, stuff like that. You know, that is, just you talking about that makes me come out in hives to be honest you know oh, right? God, it the, was the idea of it so stressful and no one no one seemed to be able to understand why I was finding that difficult and they're going yeah but you've booked a hotel and you've like organized a coach and 
you know, you've got 57 kids going, you've organized all the finances for it. You've done, you've done spreadsheets and what have you, but I couldn't put, I couldn't put 57 names in alphabetical order. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's so typical of that. You know what I mean? I've organized the biggest digital festival for makers in Britain and done endless bits of teaching. And we're currently doing a PhD that involves AI and machine learning yet ask me to try and find something in my kitchen that I could cook. And it's just, I can't do it. You know, <laughs> I just can't do it. It's like, so it's like, you know, it's the spiky profiles. Of oh, the absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. The expectation that we're good at, at, at like neurotypicals are where they have more kind of an even profile. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't, you know, some things we're really good no. at. Some things we're absolutely dreadful at, you know, you just cannot physically do. Um, you know, and there's a risk with that when you're in employment, I guess, because, you know, if you burn out, you know, you find that frustrating, it happens enough, you start feeling quite isolated when you find somebody's frustration that you can't do something, mm-hmm. you know, so you force yourself to do it more and then you burn out more. And then, you know, that's why I think a lot of us go to part time hours, Yeah. you know, because it's at least that way we can manage it and be involved, but not feel the kind of stresses of it. Or we go freelance or we go outside of areas to do that. Well, my, yeah. my, my initial way of dealing with it was I took I took fixed term contracts. Yeah. So it meant that, you know, I could I go into a school, I'd make an impact for, you know, a, six months or a year. And then I knew I was going to leave. So that just get, it meant that I didn't I didn't feel the burnout quite so much because I knew it was only going to be for six months to a year or a nine month, you know, maternity cover or something. So that was my solution. Before I did it, it quite intensively first, then burnt <clears throat> out quite dramatically, and then went to part time, and then went to contracts yet yeah, again, or supply sometimes. You know, yeah, I did moment. supply quite a lot as well. Yeah, because that you, you can go in and out quite anonymously like that, and that's nice, um, and it just relieves that stress. But you know, the question is, is how would you try and fix things? I guess for teachers who are neurodiverse, how would we make it better? Well, you know, I'd. It's just such a minefield that to ask, I know. Um, but I mean, there'd be simple things that you could think about. You know, a lot of our interview processes, I've heard a oh, lot yeah. over the of a lot over the last months and a lot today of, you know, neurodiverse uh, teachers who would like to go and, and apply to work again or would like mm. to change jobs again or go for headships or go one up. But the forms are putting them off because oh, the forms are just a nightmare in teaching. It's just, it's really intense, you know, and the interviews are very intense. You know, they're not, they're not quite, you know, could you come in and teach a class, which Mm. would be, you'd think the thing to do, Mm -hmm. you know, put a standardized set of detail on, come in and, you know, teach a class that you've got for the day, you know, or Mm. teach, you know, come and see around the school and let's just have a chat with you and see if you're a good fit. But because it's such an intensive interview process, a lot of them won't, they're not, they're avoiding going back. You know, and that's, yeah, again, it's kind of gatekeeping <coughs> for us, isn't it? Well, that's the thing. That, I mean, yeah, application forms, why can there not just be one standard application form that you can yeah. cut and paste for everything? Every single local authority has different ones. Every single mat has different ones. Mm-hmm. And you've got, and, and it's no way you can just paste, like, so you're experienced, especially when you've been teaching as long as your eye have. Mm. It's, there's loads of it, you know? Yeah. You've got to put that whole thing onto this this form over here. And it takes forever, and it must take forever for anybody, really. But especially if you're neurodivergent or dyslexic in particular, then it's just an absolute nightmare. So, yeah, the application forms are a bit of a nightmare. 
the interview process as well is incredibly intense and kind of almost guaranteed to cause burnout at the end of the day at yeah. the end of the day after uh, after an interview you're just finished yeah you're done for i don't know why it has to be all on one day either I'm not sure either. I mean, you know, and this does have, um, it has consequences, you know, employment rates, especially for autistic individuals are the worst in Britain, you know, so yeah. they are the group that really struggles to gain employment, mm -hmm. which is strange because they're reported to be in studies for uh, Riddick, if you want to have a look at it, you know, um, 85%, you know, are not employed in the UK ONS office. But if you look at it, they're considered often about 140% productive in comparison to the neurotypicals so they're about 40 percent better at their jobs when they're left mm -hmm. to do them but they're not being employed because uh -huh. the conditions don't allow for it you know and you can you could probably you may have felt that you know when you do find a school that's amazing you are dedicated to them oh you know what i mean yeah. you absolutely. are you're yeah. absolutely invested in them you are will go above and beyond for it and you can feel supportive and you can really thrive because it's so rare mm -hmm. so you're like oh i'm really gonna go for that you know but if you're not given those opportunities to kind of be able to even do the interview process you know <laughs> be able to get over it i'm not sure how we do it and um you know things like um structures and um, when we talk and you must have found this you know when you a teacher i like a really nice calm organized classroom yes that has really nice sets of rules do you i yeah. love it i yeah. can't get enough of it if it's like that i'm happy right if it's a school like that i'm happy which means kind of behavior rules mm. kind of sit with me well because i like to have that structure mm -hmm. and then i like to explain that structure and then i like kids to have that structure mm -hmm. so you know, when you have this moment where we talk about behaviour left, right and centre, it always makes me laugh because one of the things that I find deeply, deeply frustrating is SLTs and headships and teaching, you know, structured organisation. You you have the worst confusing kind of behaviour and structural rules ever, guys. Mm -hmm. You know, you say one thing, then you mean something else. You set one rule, then you decide something else. <laughs> you don't always consistently all do the same things. We're all going to enforce this rule where they all line up. 20 teachers don't two mm -hmm. teachers do one teacher might not it's like you know if you want to apply that you know you might want to start with staff let's make it you know clearly defined what you're mm -hmm. trying to do in your school what kind of work expectations you've got what kind of outcomes you want you know really making it clear what you would like that person to do in their job would be a good start but you very rarely hear that. It's just like we spend ages talking about how we want to change things, okay. you know, for neurodiverse kids or get behavior right or get structure or get routines right. But then we never talk about it with our staff. No. So we've had a, a brief bit where me and Katrina were had a chat about all of this. We've had some um, interesting feedback, hectic teacher saying that she managed to get a bit of space when she gets to cuddle a cat. Um, we've had quite a few um, people on Twitter at the moment commenting on this, um, obviously struck a nerve. So if you if you comment in or if you've got something to say, give us a tweet or drop it in the chat here on um, Podbean app. Um, we're going to go to the news, but when we come back, we're going to pick up on what we think would be useful for our actual routine itself or what we think could be useful for us to, to get over some of the hurdles that we seem to, to have. Um, but right now, we're going to go to the news. We 
have teamed up with the Witherslack Group to bring you a fantastic face-to-face meetup in Manchester next month. Tickets are free, with lunch included, and you'll be met with a host of amazing speakers. Sign up for Your Voice now at witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash Your Voice 2022. Hi, I'm Charlie Burley, the Teacher's Health Coach, and I want to talk to you about the first ever health and wellbeing event for educators, Rewriting Wellbeing. It's a full day dedicated to improving your health as a teacher through looking at your nutrition, movement, mindset, workload and well-being in school. You'll hear from our incredible lineup of speakers including Andrew Cowley, Jen Foster, Kimberly Wilson, Simon Bolger and many more. There'll be talks, workshops and time to network with like-minded colleagues. We'll look after you all day with brunch, lunch and all the refreshments. You'll get to meet our incredible speakers and our amazing team of ambassadors from the education space. It's a non-profit event with all proceeds going to the amazing education charity EdSupport. This isn't one to miss. I look forward to seeing you there on the 22nd of October at Etc Venues St Paul's in London. You can search Rewriting Wellbeing on the Eventbrite website to find out more. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. ITV News reports on the backlash facing Middlesbrough Council from parents who want to see a return of chicken nuggets, pizza and chips to school dinners. Parents have complained about food options offered by schools across the town, claiming they are too adventurous and the portion size is too small. The complaints came following a move by the authority to try and increase fruit and vegetables, reduce sugary items and introduce vegan options and other healthier alternatives. Comments on Middlesbrough Mayor Andy Preston's Facebook page number over 400 and the majority of them criticised the new menus. Concerns include pupils not eating enough during a long school day, and this impacting on concentration, focus and therefore learning. The current cost of living crisis has also increased concern as children eating a hot meal at school each day becomes even more essential for some families. The changes came at a time when one in 10 children in Middlesbrough are classed as obese when they start school and this increases to one in five once they're in year six. Middlesbrough Council has yet to comment on the story. The Royal British Legion has announced plans to live teach about aspects of remembrance this autumn. In plans announced on the forces.net website, it states that children will be helped to understand the importance of remembrance and its continuing relevance today. The Royal British Legion will join forces with the National Literacy Trust to launch a new range of teaching resources, including live lessons. The Alive with Poppies poetry project will take place between the 3rd and 6th of October and the Live Remembrance Assembly will be on the 11th of November. This year, all the resources will explore the theme of service, highlighting the role of civilian emergency services, the work of intelligence services, as well as the work of the armed forces. 
Further details can be found on the Royal British Legion website. In Scotland, the National reports on Nicola Sturgeon's visit to St Albert's Primary School in Pollock Shields, Glasgow. She visited to see an assembly marking the end of Scotland's Climate Week, saying it was only right to listen to the voices of young people on climate change. The theme of this year's Climate Week was to encourage respectful conversation about climate change. After the recently announced death of rapper Coolio, a video of him partying with University of Central Lancaster students went viral once again. The video originally posted in 2013 shows Coolio singing Gangster's Paradise inside a student house in Preston. The viral video also shows him cooking a meal with the students. Many have returned to the internet to view the video and pay tribute to the artist most well known for the song which featured on the soundtrack of the film Dangerous Minds. The film follows a teacher and her group of students studying at a school in a deprived part of Belmont, California. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm answering the frequently asked question, how do I support a new pupil that doesn't speak English? Well, technology is here to help. There's a few things to consider first. Apps work differently on different devices, so you'll need to have a play with the kit you have to hand. This episode is just a list of things you could try. Also, you need to remember that translators are not totally accurate, although they are pretty good nowadays. To prove this, I translated my last sentence into Ukrainian and back again. It went in reading. Also, you need to remember translators are not totally accurate, although they are pretty good nowadays, and came out. Also, you have to remember that translators are not completely accurate, although they are pretty good now. Totally became completely, and nowadays became now. Not bad, really. So, what is available for working online? Microsoft Edge has immersive reader built in. Press F9 and you'll be greeted with a plethora of tools. As far as translation is concerned, you can translate a page into over 80 languages and have it read to you. You can also send a link to open in Reader View by adding read colon in front of the address before you send it. In Google Chrome, you can go to settings and add languages to allow you to translate. What about documents? If you use Microsoft Office in any app, highlight, right click and select translate. Pick your language job done. Same applies to Google Docs, although it will save as a translated copy. Need a quick translation for an important question? Translate. Do you need the toilet? Into Russian. In Russian, do you need the toilet is? That example was Siri, who doesn't translate into Ukrainian yet. Try it with your smart devices. On most devices, you can change the language used. Just be careful with this one if it's a shared device or you or someone supporting a child needs to use the device too. Also, finding the setting again when the language has been changed may need you to have a second device to copy so you can find the buttons in a different language. That sounds too much like I'm speaking from past experience. Do you need a translated transcript of your whole class explanation? Download the Office app. Tap the plus sign and choose voice. Quick side note, as you're recording, you'll need permission of the people in the room to do this. Everything you say will be transcribed and then you can either translate and send or send for them to translate in one of the aforementioned ways. In this app, you can also use Lens to scan handouts and translate. Finally, depending on your license, you could use a video call such as Google Meet, Zoom or Microsoft Teams to provide live subtitles using closed captions and translate. Set up a video call, join with the pupil's device and have a live translation of your lesson. This will depend on the pupil's reading ability and needs some technical knowledge to enable, so it might be worth asking your technical support if it's possible. For a visual version of some of the ideas in this briefing, check out TT Radio 2022 on social media. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. 
Hi, so we pick up our conversation with me and Katrina on whether or not we think that um, we can put in some routines or put in some some ways in which um, we could make things better for neurodiverse or disabled or, or mental health um, uh, issues for teachers and you know whether we whether we can support teachers in these kinds of ways so i'm gonna let us crack on but um as i said do give us a tweet or give us some comments as you get them you can see quite a lot of the comments are coming in on um on twitter at the moment under the hashtag ttt radio um and just let us know your thoughts on this it's quite it gets quite deep as we go ahead <laughs> so how do you build those routines in for your staff well that yeah that's the thing it's the thing I could never really I could, like do you know I just can't understand it I just can't I just it, it just like it, it you know it, it, if some if I get an email saying we're doing such and such initiative then I'll do it even if I don't necessarily agree with it yeah. I'll just do it okay we're going to make all children line up before we come in and we're going to greet them at the door yeah okay well we'll do that then and then you see the person down the corridor and the kids are just you know running amok and the teacher isn't even really barely in the classroom at the time when you do it and you think what anyway it's yeah it's it's but does it do you find that that frustration then makes you really disengage with the whole process because it's like i i will do that thing but then i find it so upsetting to say well we've made these rules clear why am i the only one still doing this yeah i i do i find it I get a um, really bad righteous indignation. Yeah, that's the about one. That, like, you know, I have like an amazing sense of righteous indignation about yeah, stuff. Me too. And it, you know, and and also as well, like I, you know, like I need a lot of structure. I need to be, and I yeah. will. I'm going to be the first one to. I have to ask like twenty questions about things. If you don't give me very very specific instructions, then I'm yeah. going to ask you all of the questions and I'm going to make sure that I get this right down to the finest finest detail because I don't want to make a mistake with it. And so then I'll do it and then I will just do it, right? And I will just do it to the nth degree sort of thing yeah. and I will make sure that I always stick to all of those rules because I'm going to give it the due diligence that it's given. And yeah. then when a colleague doesn't do that, you just got to cry, you know, don't But yeah. it's okay because that colleague was down the pub with the deputy head last night, so they're a bit uh, of a geezer. Yeah. And I was just like, there's nowhere on this earth I could do that because I can't cope with going to pub. I don't drink anyway. Yeah. And that's another thing. Also, people find that quite quite strange. But... Yeah, I don't drink. So, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a rare occasion that I do, um, and it's got to be with a very trusted amount of people. And I, I wouldn't find it comfortable to drink at work, Colin. No. No. no, 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 no. I've Even got friends do... that I'll drink with, but once in a blue moon. But like work, like professional work, and then go and drink with people that I put. What if I say something, or what if I put my foot in it? It just my brain couldn't cope with no, it. No, well, the thing is, okay. So there's two reasons why I don't drink. Well, there's lots of reasons why I don't drink. But the two main reasons are a, I'm bipolar and I'm on medication, so I really yeah. shouldn't drink. But b, I'm neurodivergent and I overshare. Yep. And yeah. it, you know, if I like, I mean, I overshare anyway. Uh, I'm quite I, I'm quite an open book to be honest and some people find that you know some people find that refreshing other people on the other hand find that that it's not socially acceptable but you know do you I'm, get that do you get the the, the names uh, we'll do a little rundown here because this is two women talking about this do you get the following you either get refreshing mm. or you get quirky mm. quirky's a favorite yeah or you get you know or you get your unusual or yeah. you know she's she's very or you're just weird you're weird or you're just weird. weird yeah 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 we got loads of names for us she's the odd one yeah yeah so you just like 
And you know what? You don't realise, like, when you're in, especially when you're in staff rooms, guys, or when you're in, like, working kind of nights out, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, this is Caroline. She's the odd one of us, or she's the quirky one of us, or she's, mm-hmm. the, you know, and it wears over time, like, continuously telling us that we're odd is not going to make us feel any better. No, <laughs> no, you? weird is the one that I get the most, that she's quite weird, this one. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I don't think that's a compliment. No, I don't. I don't think any of them are a compliment. You know, I've turned up in head teachers' rooms and cried because I felt like I didn't fit in. Like, oh, properly yeah. cried yeah. because I've been like, I do not fit in here. Mm-hmm. And I just can't seem to make me fit in. I've mm. been told, yeah, but you you know, you don't fit in, but you are weirdo. And it's like, mm. fuck, seriously, this does not make it any better. <laughs> it's like, and it's like, it's quite hard because I think. I've really, I've really come to terms with it, spending more time with more neurodivergent individuals. Yeah. Actually, spending my time with other neurodivergent individuals. They did a study a while back ago, if you've not seen it. I'll find the link for it and put it in here. Mm. Um, when they put neurotypicals with neurotypicals and asked them to communicate and found that they had no difference between them. And then they put neurodivergent people with neurodivergent people and found no difference in their communication styles. But actually, when you put neurodivergent people with neurotypical people, that's when you have a noticeable lack of of communication. So it's not we can't communicate. It's just like we're speaking one social language and neurotypicals are speaking another. Well, yeah, it's the double empathy problem, isn't it? Yeah, that's the one. You know, it, it, it just really sums it up. But it's it's interesting because all of my close friends are neurodivergent. Yeah. And it's just, it's like, so I have a friend, I have a friend who I've, I've, I've known him for years. We went to, we went to sixth form together. We did our A-levels together. He lives in Canada now, but I'm still like really good friends with him. We speak all the time. And like, he's one of my best friends. Anyway, he got diagnosed as an adult with ADHD. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, ah, oh, that explains a lot. <laughs> yeah. right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, doesn't it make, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, and then actually, if you look at that, that entire circle of friends who we were friends with in in school, we all have ended up with a diagnosis. You know, I already had the dyslexia diagnosis, but I didn't get the bipolar diagnosis until I was 32. Mm. And like, I go, OK, everybody, I'm bipolar. And they go, all oh, right. OK, yeah, that makes yeah, sense. I think there's um, I think, yeah, I think there is something to be said for that. You know, I'd, maybe if you've got a school, you know, one of the things you might want to do is just get all your neurodivergent teachers together. See if you've mm-hmm. got community groups for them to get together. I think to some extent that would have made me feel less out of it. And, um, you know, you know, be a bit, you know, doing that CPD. Uh, but not only just applying that neurodiverse CPD to you, you know, your staff and how you are, but applying some of those rules to yourself and also to you, you know, your work colleagues for your staff. You know, if you're looking at making direct instruction, uh, you know, that's knowledge rich, maybe you might want to look at how you're doing that with your staff. You know, mm-hmm. cause it's like we, you got direct instruction is not always there. Chunking is not available on inset day when you're mm-hmm. like, here's eight hours for us to cram this in your brain. You know, repetition is not always seen. Um, but all of them serve our neurodiverse kids. But I think they serve our neurodiverse staff, you know, having that routine, having that kind of support system, you know, that's around. Because, um, you know, you're right. You end up with neurodiverse friends outside. You know, I'm lucky. I have a, a really variety, lot of neurodiverse friends because I was part of the making community. It's full of neurodiverse individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and actually one of the things we do is just basically get together and talk about things that we're building so it's it's very special interest central Mm -hmm. but i think one of the things that people don't realize when they say that they say oh it's a special interest or hyperfixation or they're really keen about talking about something i think they don't realize that that actually is that actually helps us develop social skills yeah it's not like that is something that shouldn't be encouraged because oh here they go again actually that's the place where we can practice social skills yeah i really like it when we have things that i can go to where we have to talk about a specific thing and it not be like this weird no man's land of i don't know what the conversation's going to be you know it's that's hard Oh, so, the, the predictability is amazing, isn't it? I love yeah. predictability. Yeah, I think we all do. And it, I think it just creates a sense of safety, doesn't it? Yeah. Because, you know, when we say it's like, when I say it's dangerous for neurodiverse individuals, make no mistake, I'm not being shy on that word. It really is dangerous for neurodiverse individuals, you know, if they're not... It, being visibly disabled can mm. be quite lethal. You know, if you're not seeing the panorama show on the poor girl who'd been institutionalized recently in a mental health ward because Mm. she was you know she had autism or some of the individuals who had mental health issues you know being violently attacked it was heartbreaking to watch but it didn't surprise me um and it didn't surprise me because you know i've been my sister's got bipolar schizoaffective disorder you know i'm neurodiverse both of us have been in and out if we have a mental health issue you know, quite often it's, it, you know, you could be in, you know, in a mental hospital and being treated like that. It's yeah. not, you, you can have your ability to be an adult undermined continuously. Oh, you know, yes. oh, you're, you're not, you know, that's the usual, isn't it? You know, either, you know, oh, you don't look autistic or well, well done you. Yeah. Or, you know, the condescending one, or if you're mentally ill, you know, oh, well, you're sure that you can make those kinds of decisions. And it's yes. like, oh, just, mm-hmm. and it's so annoying because that's why we all mask. Yeah. And that takes so much out of us, so much out of us to, mm. to do all of those kind of behaviors that you all take for granted. Yet the minute that we don't do that, it's, oh, well, she's, you know, is she okay? Are they all right? Yeah, it's it's a strange sort of balance, isn't it? Because like I get, particularly with the bipolar, I get, oh, you've overcome it. You've overcome oh yeah, it. how'd you get that one worked? Because I don't know about you, but my sister definitely hasn't overcome it in the years. <laughs> no, I haven't overcome it. I haven't overcome it. I'm still equally as bipolar as I was the day I was born because it's, yeah. you know, it's a genetic condition that I've had my entire life. Yeah. It's just that I found a medication that works for me and I have a really good therapist. Uh, I still... It makes the difference that, oh, yeah. though, to be understood, but it's not like you suddenly become less bipolar. No, I'm still in, incredibly bipolar, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it, you know, it's just like you know, and even psychiatrists will say things to you like, "Oh yeah, but you're high functioning," which is complete. It's a completely useless phrase to say someone's high functioning. It's completely oh. it doesn't doesn't make any like. I still it's still difficult, you know. When I'm in a depressed phase it's really difficult for me to get out of bed in the morning. If I'm in a manic phase, I probably shouldn't be in charge of my own money because I will just buy everything, you know? I was always really lucky. I'm I'm my my eldest sister's person. You know, they have that person that they nominate to take care of your health, which is quite funny, really, because to be honest, it's like the autistic ADHD gets the nominated person a crisis for the bipolar schizophrenic. But 
Um, to be honest, it's been good for us because we've always looked after each other, mm-hmm. mainly because we didn't trust anybody else. Um, and actually, you know, I've spent a lot of time keeping my sister out of hospitals. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's a very successful, very accomplished forensic social worker who deals with incredible, she's, she's incredible, but, and she's very open about her, her, um, her mental health with pretty much everybody. But quite often they'd say, oh, it's amazing your sister hasn't been, you know, hospitalized more when she's been ill. Mm-hmm. And I thought, no, it's not. It's just every time they said that, I'd go, no, no, no. No, I would rather stay with my sister and keep an eye on myself than send her into places where I think it could get worse. Mm-hmm. Just because, you know, it was to make sure she had a job, make sure she had a freedom, make sure she had that autonomy. Yes. You know, and whenever I wasn't well, when I was younger, it was quite often. Now it's very rarely. But when I was, you know, the, my sister would do the same for me. You know, no, she's she's not actually. You know, we'll take her home. We'll give her a couple of days rest. We'll get a better therapist to her, and we'll get her to talk about it. We'll make those decisions on medication more um, slowly. You know, um, all of those are important bits. But like back when we, my sister was diagnosed. You know, and when I was diagnosed with a seizure issue in the, you know, in the early eighties. It was hard back then. <laughs> you know, it was like, it was hard work, that was. You know, because you were just continuously coming up, fighting against people. Yeah. And now they say to us, you've achieved really well. Yeah. It's like, really? <laughs> you did really well. You've overcome it. Overcome yeah. so much. Well done. And it's like, uh, you know, sometimes my sister and me, she says, was like the raggedy doll sisters, you and me, Kaz. You know, we're forever oh. scrapping to get on, you know, and scrapping to get through. And it's true, you know, because we mm. come from both very tragic circumstances. So it's kind of like sometimes I sit there and I think, you know, is this is this really fair? It's like either you do really well, so we'll pull the support and then you're a success. Mm-hmm. Or you do really badly and then we tell you you can't be it. It's just yeah. such a double-edged sword. That it really, it really is. Yeah, I mean, I've only, I've only been hospitalised once, mm. um, but that kind of complete and utter lo- loss of autonomy. Oh yeah, you know, it's just terrific. And, you know, somebody telling you when you can have your meals and when you can go to the toilet and you know all of that kind of stuff. And they were nice and all. Mm. They, they took me. They took us bowling. That was fun. Mm. Um, but you know, it's still like you are very much treated like a child because you just completely lose your autonomy. You yeah, know? and it—it's not something that I would. I mean, I don't really want to have another manic episode anyway. But I—I I ha- I ha- did have one last summer actually, but I didn't have to be hospitalised because I was on watch. Like my partner and my parents just yeah. basically watched me twenty-four hours a day. So yeah. I could get my, my medication sorted. One of the things they don't say about that, you know, you know, being the, the main care for somebody who's bipolar, is how funny it can be. I know that sounds really awful to say. Oh, it is funny. But, it's like, really it funny. is. It is really funny. I shouldn't say that, but it is. Like, me and my sister have a good laugh about this on a regular basis. Like, she'll, I remember when we were younger and we didn't quite have a handle on it. Um, uh, not me sister. And I, I suffer from really severe depression and anxiety in my youth. Um, due to uh, child sexual abuse so it, both of us were never quite right 
but Amy, Amy, always cracking. You know, one minute she'd be kind of like, oh, it's not working. And then the next minute she'd be like, Kaz, I am off. I am selling my house and I'm moving to Paris. <laughs> wow. Right. And I literally I had to go and get from Paris. I was in my 20s. I had to literally get on a plane and go and get her because she was like, I moved. I'm going to take up a painting art career on the banks of Paris. You had wow. to literally go get her. And, you know, just sometimes she'd come out with these things and it'd just be crackers you know but you know we we managed to keep quite we managed to keep quite a sense of humor about it which i think is really sometimes the only way to go with that because oh, everybody else is just to. either they are making it like you're more somehow crazy and awful or the you know really taking your autonomy away from you so me mm-hmm. and my sister would just we'd laugh at it be like yeah gonna go and get her she's over in paris trying to have an art career i'll be back (laughs) in a couple of days be like right i get there and be like sis you are not picasso we should get in a car here (laughs) yeah okay guys maybe and it's true you do get that but Mm -hmm. i think it's because people do not often don't understand especially with bp and you know how um how intense a manic phase can be I think they think that that's not as bad as the depressing phase when actually it can be oh, no. really dangerous. It's, it's it's much worse. I mean, the thing is, like, when you're coming up, when you're like getting up to it, and you've got wicked mm. hyper focus, and you can it's do amazing. You, can, you can choose amazing. You can do amazing things. It's amazing. It's like the best feeling ever in the entire world. You know, it's better than yeah. anything else. But once you actually get to the manic episode, and like, you know, I yeah, like yeah. last last summer, I was. Not the, the summer just gone, but the summer before. Yeah. That's my mother ringing now. God, everybody's ringing me today. <laughs> um, go on, you were saying. So did yeah. you get, I mean, did you find it really, um, really intense? Oh, yeah, I was hallucinating both auditarily and visually the yeah, entire time. Yeah, that's a hard time. one, that one. And, yeah. yeah, I could see people's skulls. Mm. So, you know, that was quite frightening, really. So I went yeah. to the doctor. I went to the doctor one time. My partner took me along mm. and I couldn't speak to her because I could see her skull. I just couldn't speak. Yeah. I mean, that's quite, um, it's quite traumatizing, I think, sometimes when you get to that kind of level. Because to be honest, it's like you don't realize how intense that is. No. Especially when you've, you, you've not got much experience of BP. But also because, you know, you really lose a sense of yourself at that point. You are, mm-hmm. you know, it's frightening stuff. My my elder sister got tattoos eventually of really big, huge, laborious gardens because she was really, really on a high. She'd see, like, forests attacking her. So in the end, she was like, well, I'll see them anyway. So I'm just going to get them tattooed on my arm so they don't freak me out when I do see them. And it was That's like, really right, okay idea, then, actually. fair enough. <laughs> but there's all those kind of things where it seems so removed from that that's them circumstances are so removed from you know incredible professional competent individuals yeah but actually those two things are the same thing nobody would say me or my sister or you are not competent professionals if you'd see us in work getting a whole bunch done yet you know every now and again you know you'll i'll have to you know ring in my sister or be like i have to take a few days because it just gets on top of you you know, I mean, now we don't treat it as quite uh, as emergency, I think, than our youth. Mm-hmm. We've got quite used to the rhythm of when that's going to happen now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I was younger, every five minutes she'd be frightened that she'd be, you know, that was it. You know, she was going to be taken away, put in somewhere and that would be the end of that. 
and you know that's why i say when we talk about why neurodis neurotypical people or people with mental health are masking and hiding it you know that's why you know there's, mm. there's a real material risk to our freedoms <clears throat> yeah there's a real material risk to your career as well you know yeah yeah that's the other one isn't it not being you know i'm too chatty i'm too talky i'm not like knowing which level of talkiness is the right talkiness yes. level how do yeah. you do that i've no idea <sighs> i still no, don't I'm, know how to do it there's loads of stuff that i just don't know there's loads of stuff that i don't, don't know that it's socially acceptable things you know like i think i put it on twitter the other day but I whenever I finish a, an email, I always sign it. If I reply, I sign it off exactly the same way that the person has sent it to me. So if mm. they write kind regards, I write kind regards. If they write best wishes, I write best wishes. You so better I than me. I just put Chaz know. with an X now. <laughs> like, I just, I just don't know. I don't know like what you're actually. How do you know what you're supposed to do to sign it off? That I still don't know the re the rules. I think you know this one is a perfect example because everybody listening will probably like, well, that's really you know you know that should be really straightforward, but it isn't mm. right. And let me give you an example why it isn't. Um, it isn't because you've got like best regards, kind yeah. regards, mm -hmm. sincerely, mm. you know, you know, um, you've got you know the the variety of differences there is quite vast, mm -hmm. and I don't know what the difference between kind regards and best regards is. Or sincerely, <clears throat> or yours sincerely is, mm -hmm. or you know, word I don't know, you know, and it's just yeah, and like, when is I it have okay, no idea. When is it okay to write best wishes or or, or take care? Because that sounds quite friendly, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or is it just all regards? <laughs> is it like do regard? Is just regards a word on its own? Does that mean it's horrible? And you I know, don't know. I, I'm not sure. You know, <clears throat> and sometimes i'll say really blunt stuff and like my entire family will just be in stitches and be like no cuz that's not what was you know yeah, yeah you've no what they were getting at was not that and i'm like what what do you mean what they were getting at was not that you know what i mean hold up a second when did that happen you know I, and I, I did it uh a while back ago um when we'd um we'd gone to a it's a rare social occasion the the if you've not heard one of my other shows i was on for to ross mcgill's it was a uh his book launch and he had a social occasion for it so yeah. i brought my husband for the simple reason that god forbid i'd be at a social occasion just me you know i kind of need a support person there for me yeah. generally mm -hmm. and he'd said oh you know so we've gone there and i think um chris dyson nice shout out chris was telling a joke and did i get it no no i did not get it i didn't get the joke i didn't get what was going on and one of the friends said oh it was um i'm one of the teachers said oh i'm from coventry and my husband said oh like you know if you've been sent to coventry and everybody laughed and i was like what the hell is going on and he was like now he's got used to my confused face he was like going being sent to coventry is like being sent away and i was like but why coventry he was like i don't know and i was like what is going on with this and he was like it's like a saying thing and i was like but why coventry he was like i don't know why coventry's picked but apparently it is it became a whole thing but that happens like on a regular basis oh yeah so when you're in like a staff room and you're all making the kind of in joke i don't know the in joke no i can't i can't stand in jokes i can't do banter i don't even know actually no. what banter is no, no, I know when I hear it, but I don't know how, like, I mean, how do you like, do you know, like, it's like a skipping rope, you know, when somebody does this two people holding a skipping rope at either end, and you have to mm. jump in. Mm. I can't do that either. No, right? no, and that's what it feels like socially. It feels like I'm supposed to be able to jump into the skipping rope and join in. But I have no idea, like, I have no idea how you would get involved in that. And I don't, I don't really understand like in jokes or anything like that. And also as well, like, I don't have enough social 
to be able hmm. to deal with that at work. When I'm a, I'm at work. I'm you know if I'm teaching children, then all of my social is going on that. So I yeah. can't be dealing with your banter, and I'm not being standoffish or rude or weird or blunt or all of those other words that I get called. I'm just trying. No, to like... you just genuinely don't have the energy. I don't you know, have the energy. No. And when you say don't have the energy, you know, let me just back you up on that one. You know, that's not just don't have the energy. Imagine yourself on like the worst day of exhaustion that you can. That's like every day. Every day. Every, every day that is. That's like every day. You know, I get so burnt out. I I lose function. Mm. So I stop being able to talk or think or put thoughts down or eat or sleep mm. or stand. You know, I get that kind of exhaustion. Mm. So when I say I'm a bit burnt out, really I'm probably, you know, my husband would say a neurotypicals version of, you know, I'm I'm so exhausted I might have a nervous breakdown. My bit you know, my little burnout is like bad. During when I'm really burnt out, that's when you really need to worry. But I'm so used to living in burnout. Yeah. Yeah, we get used to it. We get used to having that kind of exhausted conversation that like you know, and being forcing yourself to get up, forcing yourself to interact with people, forcing yourself to make the right faces at the right time. Mm. I mean, one of my worst, I try and get when I get to the stage where I'm really burnt out, I stop looking at people. Um, and it, it feels impolite because I've, you know, I, I can look at people to some extent, but when I get burnt out, that goes right out the window. Mm. And it does because your faces don't match your words half of the time. No. That's why I find it confusing. You know, you'll say something and I'm thinking, because I, I pick up on everything, bit of detail and you gloss over with the the pitch the whole picture i pick up on every single bit and i'm having to decide what's the right thing to process and what's not mm -hmm. so you're telling me like you know oh this went really well and i'm looking at that frowny bit on your face thinking but that bit looks like you're unhappy with this so is that a really well sarcastic or is that a really well actual or you know what exactly does that really well mean because oh, i, I can't judge whether your face was that or was not and it, you know, you, you forever question every conversation. So it means that every conversation you have, you've got to then go back over. Mm. And that is, you know, and it, I do, I'll go out or I'll be like, oh, I spent the day with such and such. And I'll, you know, me and, you know, I'll get into my family and it'll be, how did everybody's gate go? And we're quite a neurodiverse family anyway. And it'll be like, oh, I said this to this, this, to this, this. I think this is what it meant. And it's, you literally check it. So when we say oh, yeah. exhausted, uh, you know, this is exhausting. You know, if you were to have to write down every single facial expression that was pulled to you all day mm. and then go back and reassess them, that's that's on the regular. Oh, it's the yeah. constant check, the constant having to check yourself and cover yourself and making sure, mm. that, you know, that's why I was saying like before, you know, I have lists of, mm. of things. I like, I, I'm on all, I'm always double checking when, so when you said such and such, did you mean so and so? Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> and it's just yeah. like as well, like I also as well, somebody sends me a really lo like a really long email which has got like loads and loads of different paragraphs in it or whatever. I'll have to come back and go and go bullet point it and go. So you want me to do this on such and such date? You want me to do this and this and this? And then I will just bullet point it and go. Is, is this what you mean? And I've like done a synopsis of the of the email just to make sure it. And a lot of people find that really irritating because they're just yeah. like, well, yeah, yes, I already told you that. And the amount of times I've got into into trouble in meetings because I've gone, look, I don't understand. Can I just check? So what yes. you're saying is you want me to do blah, 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 blah. And they go, 
uh, Katrina, I've told you like 15 times. Of course, no, that's what the that's... entire meeting's about. But is it? But is it? I don't mean to be funny, but a lot of the time when I do that, really, they think that what they've said is what they've said. But no. actually, I'm not sure that's what they said. I often get this feeling where it's like neurotypical people, you know, as it. I think, you know, we do a lot of the work to make communication more easier with us. Yeah. But they're not very good at being direct, are they? No. Or literal. No. no. They're really bad at making clear what they want. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, this is not that hard, is it? You know, because you just, you know, bullet point that list down. I will explain to you what that is. And sometimes I find, you know, they're really good. I'm really good to have a meeting if you ever want to get down to the point of a meeting, mm. why you're having it in the first place. Because I'm the first person to go, is this about this? And then want to really clarify it out. And we have a lot of unnecessary, you know, that could be an email type stuff. Oh, God, yeah. And I have no patience for that either. So I'm like, does this need to be a meeting? Or could it just be this email? Just explain Uh, more accurately. Exactly. I've got a friend who's also neurodivergent and she doesn't go to meetings. No, I gave up. She doesn't go. I gave up a year or two ago for meetings. Now I tend not to go to them now. And if I do, I, I make kind of... No shame in my, I think, uh, uh, probably um, either Becky Ball or, or Andrew who went to visit recently of a robotics probably knows this. Nowadays, I make no shame of turning up to something and giving them as much information as I can in a very short period of time mm. and being like, right, this is all the things you need to know. And I'm just going to blurt it all out with a pad. I'm going to give you a bullet point list and then I'm going to go away because I'm neurodivergent and that's how I communicate. Here is all that information. I would love that. I would love that. And I worked for this one head of department, uh, head of faculty, sorry. When I was head of German, I I had uh, this head of faculty, head of languages. And he was brilliant, right? He would like, we had to have a meeting once a week because it was the rules of the school that each department had to have one. And he would keep it to 20 minutes and it would never go over 20 minutes. And there'd be an agenda and you'd discuss the things in the agenda and then you'd all just go. And it was brilliant. I loved it. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I, you know, I'm very much a communications for the things that we actually essentially want to talk about, you know, and it. So otherwise, it's exhausting, isn't it? Yeah, I don't, I don't get the kind of small talk bit. I'm not very good at it, I, you know. And in some respects, it's, there's, you know, there's the benefits. You know, we talked a lot about the difficulties here, but there are benefits. You know, Aww. we're very good at communication. We're very good at literal. We're very good at pattern spotting. We're very good at kind of communicating clearly. You know, if you want, if you want a job done really accurately, you know, put a neurodiverse person on it. The likeliness is, is that it will be brilliant because mm-hmm. they are pedantic like that. But we don't, we don't necessarily get a lot of the airs and graces of things. No. You know, not a lot of the social kind of bits for it i'm not going to be the person to be like oh could you get together and have this social group with teachers and we're going mm. to talk about our well-being i'm really not that person no. <laughs> you know what i mean i'm going to be like why am i here <laughs> like i'm really quite blunt but i think you know there's ways that we can maybe you know excuse a bit of burnout you know having quiet spaces in mm. schools mm. you know seriously just uh, is that too much to ask sorting out interview processes or you know, making those kind of allowances when they're coming in, you know, having neurodiverse self-advocacy groups within your school or neurodiverse self-advocacy student groups even, even better, you know, or, you know, things like also, I think we've got a ditch and maybe I probably speak for neurotypical teachers at the same point. I think we've got to ditch the expectation that we're supposed to have all of our lives together at every point. You know, certain things like, like I have not, like I and I've never, I have not done laundry in all of my adult life. 
like I just don't do laundry when I didn't uh, when I was when I was engineering my mother would do it when I was aerostat and I'd send it out when I got you know when I when I came back um to Britain and went back into it you know back into engineering I sent it out um when I was in teaching you know I'd send it out and my, all my mum would do it mm-hmm. um when I married my husband um literally he was like oh I'll do laundry and I was like no 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 you won't I hate it I loathe this part I'm sending it away. So I've just not done it. And I don't feel bad about that. No, because there's a whole you. bunch of sh- stuff that I just, I work really, really hard elsewhere in my life. I love laundry. Mm. Sod it, I'm not doing it. And it's like, you know, there's certain things I think we should just stop trying to do. If we find it uncomfortable, just stop doing it. Do you know what I mean? I've seen loads of them recently where it's mm. like, I've got a friend who's got ADHD who doesn't use, um, doesn't use real plates. Owl just uses paper plates. <laughs> it's quicker, isn't it? It's quicker. She, she puts them into the recycling box for paper, so they get recycled that paper that they use, mm-hmm. and it saves a whole bunch of washing dishes. And yeah. it's like, you know what? Actually, maybe you are a genius. That is quite a good idea, actually. <laughs> and I was well. like, you know what? Maybe. And I was always kind of like, no, I feel really bad about doing that. But looking at the dishes in my sink right now, maybe she's got a point here that, you know, I should abandon the concept of real dishes and just be like, you know what, paper dishes and recycle the paper. Well, I don't know. Two things. Firstly, I always I like I like to eat out of a bowl because I don't like plates because stuff falls off them. And it's just like, I, where do you like, you know, where do you start eating? And, you know, whereas if there's a bowl, you can start at the edge. And it makes it makes a lot more sense. So I tend to eat out of bowls, even things that are expected to be on a plate. Yeah. Um, and that's the one thing. The second thing is as well, like um, we all find our ways round things, don't we? Like mm. in order to live in this neurotypical world that we find ourselves in, because we are a minority, we have to find ways of coping with stuff. Yeah. And yeah. actually, do you know what? Paper plates is a really great way of doing it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, for me, when we talk about neurodiverse kids, is a great accommodation one. Yeah. You know, when we talk about, I always feel, um, you know, when you see school rules or boundaries or say you've got to have pencil cases or pens in, you know, I don't want you to get rid of the damn rule. You know what I no. mean? Even when I was a kid, I didn't want you to get rid of the damn rule. No. I don't need you to get rid of the rule. What I need you to do is help me achieve what everybody else can do. So instead of being like, oh, I will punish you continuously for not having the pen, you know, do me a favor, just get all my pens and put in a pencil case and keep it at the school yes. in the one same spot and then tell me to go get it and I'll go get it and then tell me to bring it back every day. That's it. That solves that problem. <laughs> End of, you know what I mean? So, you know, my daughter's quite uh, neurodivergent. It's like I just pack her back mm-hmm. and that's it. So I pack her back. Uh, you know i make sure and mark does that everybody everything in her bag is like what she needs so that she doesn't ever find herself in the position where she has not got it you know if you've got parents get them to do that but what i don't want anybody to do is go oh well we'll we'll get rid of that rule for you why oh, no, just no, i don't want them to do that either i just want you to find a way for, for it to work for me yes and i think that's the key because i find sometimes especially when i get i've taught neurodivergent kids mm. is that that this you know getting rid of it for them then lowers the expectations around them mm. and that then starts doing this thing where it's like well they can't can they you know what i mean or maybe they, maybe they couldn't do that and it's like well why not 
what what exactly is stopping yeah, you from just, doing these things? It's a, it's a bit of learned helplessness, then, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah, I think like, it you is. Know, the kid, the kids, the kids that I've I've worked with is things like you know, uh, we had this. I worked at this amazing school for autistic kids, and I had this you know key stage four set of boys who'd all been excluded from various mainstream schools, so they'd have a bit of a hard time in school. And uh, we did. We used to. We we had this um, like kind of like. Uh, sports competition between all the local special schools it was awesome honestly it was mm. the best best thing ever and it's just like okay well they're all gonna go regardless we're just going to find ways of making it possible for them to go so the one boy who had major major sensory different differences mm-hmm. so we he we got him like uh headphones and he had like this weighted jacket on yeah we, we had the the, the, the minibus took him to the stadium because it was a proper stadium we, we did it all in he had his sensory equipment when he was there he took it off ran his race yeah. and then he was going to get straight back on the bus and go straight back to school yeah but he still did it do you yeah. see what i mean we just made That's a way for him to do it and do you know what it was so amazing because at the end of the race he was the last one right there were 12 kids in that race he came last right yeah. but at the end of it he was cheering and going yeah that's what my school's all about and all this and he was just so triumphant they did it and then he got sensory equipment back on he went straight back on the bus he went back straight back to school and he ate his two bags of crisps because that's yeah. what he did when he was stressed he had to eat two bags of crisps and hold them both in the same hand but i mean that's perfectly fine by my standards and to be honest that's what i want to see what i don't want to see is us lowering you know the expectations Saying, well, he, he, won't, the well, he just won't go he just won't go to the sports day then yeah no like he's missing out on something then he's missing out on opportunity you've just got to find ways to to make it possible yeah to achieve the same as everybody else and it's the same with you know with with neurodivergent staff right yeah you got you've got to find a way to make it possible for me to do this i mean tech is a really great way of doing it isn't it yeah yeah technology is brilliant you know i i can attend the staff reading a bit more easier you know what i mean if we're all on skype and i don't yeah. have to deal with all of the info that you're kind of dropping on me in person in a noisy room yeah because, and also you could because people turn their mics off yeah so i can only have to listen to one thing i don't have to listen oh, to the 20 conversations you know simple you know there's certain hacks that you can think about if you just think about what the problem is mm. you know uh, as i said a neurodivergent space in the in your schools not just for your kids but actually your staff could go in yeah. there if you need yeah. a moment mm. you know not having every inch of information poured into you on one day mm. you know it's like it's it seems fairly straightforward but there are a lot of kind of workarounds you can have because you know for us we're i think teachers neurodivergent teachers and 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 teachers with mental health and disabilities we are way more prone to burnout and and leaving the profession than other teachers yeah you know and the problem i think with that is that we need to be represented there there's nothing more powerful than saying to a kid who says to you i can't do this because i've got adhd going i've got adhd too yeah yes you can (laughs) <laughs> it's like oh the amount of times i've had kids who've gone i can't do that i'm dyslexic miss and I go so am i yeah the shock on their the face shock, the complete shock they're like what but i mean you know that's yeah it happens all the time you know i had a, a couple of months back ago i was doing a, a specialist teaching and i had them you know can a young boy come in and see what you've been doing because you know the thing is is he's autistic and he's got adhd and i don't think he could participate so you know got 
young little boy comes in and was like, no, actually, I'm autistic and ADHD. Yes, you'll be better at this than everybody else. Come with me. I will show you. It was like, Excellent. no. And the, the whole room just looked at me like I was mad. Like, it was like, <laughs> no way. It was like, yes. And, and you know, we've got this view, haven't we? And I, I shouldn't mm-hmm. encourage it because it's like, you're either the genius or you're completely disabled. So you're either yeah. Elon Musk or you can't do anything. Mm-hmm. but actually you know we should really point out there's lots of very very talented individuals who are neurodiverse out there the tech world is full of them oh, yeah. you know so this idea that somehow they can't cope with you know sports day <laughs> yeah also as well like school plays and stuff like that the amount of actors i mean anthony hopkins is, is autistic yeah, yeah. loads know, of them loads, loads of them, them. simon ball simon simon um simone biles she's uh adhd isn't she yeah. So, like, the stacks of them. Michael Phelps, swimmer. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like there's loads of them in really, really prominent positions. But, you know, so you've got to kind of get you out of this headspace. And I think it does lead us down to the same thing we started with, which I'll probably make us round up on, is, you know, the, the medical versus the social model. Mm-hmm. And we've got to get away from this. The medical model, if you don't know, is this idea when they judge them, like uh, Katrina was saying, that it's like, you get given your diagnosis based on your defects and that the disability is somehow in you. Yeah. You, you, you have the disability, the thing, the deficits in you, whilst mm-hmm. the social model is more, the deficit is outside of us. It's like, you know, the person who has in a wheelchair doesn't, shouldn't have to be like, well, I can't get into this building because I am disabled. Uh, therefore I should just be excluded they build a ramp and they make the world more accessible for them Mm -hmm. the social model deems disability as all of our problems and neurodiversity is all everybody it's a societal issue Mm -hmm. so everybody should accommodate the differences that we have not it should be a deficit within us to change it should be a responsibility for everybody to change um, and I think that's where I'd rather see us all going, especially with neurodiverse teachers and students, you know, that actually, you know, the difficulty is if you, your kid can't achieve sports day as your example, then we should change how sports day is done. Yes. Not we should not do sports day with them, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's probably a lovely point to end on. Oh, See, amazing. this is it. This is a, this has been a lazy, easy one for us, hasn't it? It's not been as intense. I don't feel as intense with it being live. <laughs> Normally, I get deep anxiety over it being live. So I've actually quite enjoyed this one, Katrina. That's been fun. There you go. So this has been a nice chat. So if you're getting back to me, I'm probably on air now, having a tiny, minor moment. So let us know what you think. You know, what kind of adjustments do you think we could make for neurodiverse teachers that are out there, or, or teachers with disability or mental health issues? You know, get in touch at ka1 or at neuro teachers, um, and basically just be like, these is what I think we need to start changing and maybe we can start a bit of a momentum for, for us to have a bit more accessibility, a bit more inclusion in the world if we can. What do you yes. think? Oh, yes, please. Definitely. That'd be amazing. So that was um, me and Katrina Lau, um, at Neuro Teachers, having a, a long discussion about it. We've had lots of kind of input. We've got Pat Lincoln, big shout out Pat, he's a friend of mine, who says he has three lone pencil cases. Yes, I agree, Pat. Everybody should have kind of a spot for young people storing pencil cases. Um, And he also has 748 unread emails. It just like 
condense your emails, guys. It's probably a little too much, especially for your neurodiverse, you know, staff. Um, we've had lots of kind of feedback on Twitter. If you go check it out at the moment on um, on hashtag TT Radio, um, lots of support for should we have a central database where schools advertise hectic teachers, but where teachers have a profile where they can update the, what they want and set actively looking open to new positions or not looking. Oh, the joy that that would be where we could have one place and it not feel deeply overwhelming. So there's been lots of kind of feedback on some some ways in which we can probably make it a bit more neurodiverse friendly. Um, and I think that that's probably a good thing for us to all do, you know, really consider how you can make some things a bit more inclusive in your schools, not only for your students, but also for your staff, you know, ask your neurodiverse staff if you've got neurodiverse staff or, you know, reach out to neuroteachers and, you know, get some information on how you can support those staff as well. One of the things we were talking about um, uh, later on was, you know, those kinds of uh, ways will probably improve things like um, teacher retention you know we've got this huge teaching gap but we've got a lot of neurodiverse teachers that are very much on the fringes or you know can only work part-time or are not able to work full-time or have stopped because fundamentally that the setup isn't designed a lot of the time for us or to accommodate us um so you know think about how you can accommodate not only your teachers but you know um also your students you know how do you accommodate them you know with things like those sports days or things like you know how how they achieve the same rules the same outcomes um because i think that's one of the things that we had and i wanted to give a shout out as well to things like oak academy lots of talk on oak academy recently but actually you know for disabled or neurodiverse teacher you know i know for me it's been really good like that you know having access to resources short notice that are really well designed you know it kind of makes sense so you know if you've got kind of thoughts around this today um or you've got thoughts around you know how we can support and you know reduce burnout in neurodiverse teachers or support teachers in you know being experienced a burnout then get in touch you know hashtag tt radio at me at ka1 or at neuro neuro teachers uh katrina Katrina Lau and just let us know let us know what you think let us know some tips and tricks what could what should we all consider start doing for this because I think it's not only um neurodiverse teachers and teachers with um, mental health issues or teachers who are feeling burnout but I think quite a lot of neurotypical teachers are feeling burnout now so anything we can do to improve the situation for for us will in Prove probably the situation for everybody like with most uh, you know snd accommodations so let me know and i will see you in two weeks time you've been listening to teachers talk radio tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org we look forward to hearing from you next time on teachers talk radio